Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today is the day of Pentecost, and as I mentioned in the children's message, really it's the birthday of the church. It's a celebration of God's great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his disciples. We've heard that wonderful description given to us by a look in the book of Acts. But even as we hear that description, I know I've had, when I've studied this in Bible class, you get lots of questions. Like, okay, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, did the disciples not have the Spirit before? Um, and, okay, if they received the Spirit that way, how is it that we receive it? How do we know that we have received it if, if we haven't had some spectacular event like tongues of fire and the rest? So I thought today would be a good day to examine the work of the Holy Spirit. And the basis for our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit comes to us actually from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking to the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there we have that understanding that the Holy Spirit is that which gives faith. And wherever anyone confesses faith, the Spirit is at work. But how does that show forth in our life? Well, on the day of Pentecost, it's Peter who steps forward, right? So isn't he a good test case for the working of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit has to overcome that sinful nature that lies with him. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a couple of major events in Peter's life and see how the Holy Spirit is at work and the battle that takes place between the, the Holy Spirit that is given to all and the sinful nature that lies within us all. And in the bulletin itself, there is an outline that if you'd like to follow along and to see these major events in Peter's life that really demonstrate uh, for us how the Holy Spirit works not only for him, but also works in our life. And the first place I want to go back to is, is that with Peter's great confession that's found in Matthew chapter 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So is the Holy Spirit present? Yes. Very clearly, this is a wonderful confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Paul tells us no one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so, a long time before the day of Pentecost, it's clear Peter has the Spirit, right? He's able to make this wonderful confession. And Jesus, even at this time, makes this clear, right? He says that, that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This didn't come of your own, but the Father gave it. And how is the Father that gives... Faith. How does the Father give an, an ability to, to make this confession and to live out that life? Is it not the working of the Holy Spirit? And so the Holy Spirit is given on more than one occasion. And what we're going to see is the Holy Spirit is given to us again and again and again. Because we need it again and again and again. Because man by nature is dead. He cannot call upon the Lord by himself. He cannot confess his faith in Christ on his own. It is only by the power of God living within him that he is able to make that confession. Your ability this morning to come here and to worship, your ability to make that wonderful confession of the Nicene Creed didn't come from yourself. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in you that enables you to say it and to believe that that is your confession, that this is what God, who God is and what he has done. And so Peter makes this wonderful confession. But in typical Peter ways, it doesn't last very long. We continue in verse 421. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took, himself, uh, took him aside and said, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So is the sinful nature present? Absolutely. And this is the battle that's waging. The Holy Spirit enables Peter to make this wonderful confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then a moment later, Peter says something which God must reprimand him for. His sinful nature gets in the way. His sinful nature gets in the way of God's plan of salvation. Jesus clearly lays it out. This is what must happen. And what does Peter say? Far be it from you. May it never happen to you. And Jesus gives him the strongest reprimand possible. Get behind me, Satan. His sinful nature gets in the way. He has demonstrated an understanding of his faith, but then what that faith does and how it applies to life is where he struggles. He is the Christ. Peter understands that, but he doesn't quite understand what that means and what Jesus would have to do. And isn't that the struggle with our human nature? The Holy Spirit comes and gives us faith. We have trust in the Lord. We believe that he loves us. He died for us. He rose for us. But how do you live out your faith? How do you live out your life knowing that? The Bible is clear. We're to love him and to love one another. But is that easy on a daily basis? Is it easy to love all the people around you, all the people in your household, your neighbors, everybody else? Is it easy to, 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 to put them first rather than yourself? Is it easy to focus on the things of God rather than the things of man? This is where our struggle is. And it's a back and forth, and it's the very reason that we need the Holy Spirit. Is again, on our own, left to our own devices, we turn away from God. So that was Peter making that great confession. Let's move ahead to the day that Jesus is arrested. So Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then later, one and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Was the Holy Spirit present with Peter then? Yes. Peter makes another wonderful confession. Isn't this a wonderful confession? Lord, I'll never desert you. I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. Uh, you are the center of my life. You are what is most important. It's you that I give myself in complete devotion. That's what Peter is saying. That can't come from anything but the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and these weren't just empty words for Peter. Peter really believed them. Because when a whole army of soldiers armed with swords and spears and clubs comes to arrest Jesus, it's Peter who steps forward with one sword and he strikes out at the, the Malchus. He's living out his faith. He's saying, I'm, I'd go to prison and die. I'll defend you to the end. Jesus does have to tell him, well, that's not the way it's going to be. But if you look at it from Peter's perspective, doesn't that arise from faith? His trust and a recognition of who Jesus is? So, so he makes this wonderful confession that Jesus is what is most important. And again, isn't that what the Holy Spirit enables you and I to do? Not only can we confess the Nicene Creed here, 
But there are times out there in the world, do we not show the demonstration of our faith, confess our faith in our words and actions? Don't we have opportunities to share with others the faith that we have? Don't we show our faith by, by doing the right thing at the right time, at times, even when it may not be popular? There are times in which we do that, aren't we? And, and when we do that, who's bringing it about? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings that about, and we rejoice in that. But there are other moments, aren't there? We see this with Peter. In the presence of the Lord, focusing on the promises of God, he makes this confession that I'll die rather than give up my faith. But then a little while later, listen to what happens. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down amongst them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, said, Woman, I do not know him. Is the sinful nature present? Absolutely. A few hours before, make the statement that he would give up his life. Now he could even step forward in front of a whole army of soldiers. But now a servant girl approaches him. And he can't even say that he knows Jesus. Peter is reverting back. And why? He's no longer relying upon the power of God. Where's his focus? Before, his focus was on the Lord who was with him. And he realized he knew he was not alone. Here in the courtyard, he, he loses sight of that. He's looking at the situation. He feels himself in danger. His leader is under arrest. Are they going to arrest him too? He's looking at the situation, not the Lord. And, and in so doing, he forgets the promises. Peter, no doubt, felt all alone and deserted. But was he? God's people are never left alone. But Peter didn't remember that. And isn't that where we see our failure? So often in life we try to rely upon ourselves. So often in life we're caught up with what's going on, what other people are saying, what the situation is. And when we do that, don't we also fall into the trap of doing what the world does rather than what our Lord calls us to do? It's tough for us to remember those promises of God, isn't it? All the time. The Lord will neither leave you nor forsake you. That he'll always be with you. And it's at those points of our weakness when we rely on our own power and not the promises of God that we fail. But that all leads us up to the day of Pentecost. And that's what we have next. The day of Pentecost on Acts chapter 2. And Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up. The irony is there, right? The Holy Spirit is clearly present. Because he couldn't tell a servant girl that he knew him. Now he's got a crowd of thousands. Because we're told 3,000 came to faith on that day. That's the kind of crowd he's speaking to. And he, and he clearly proclaims the gospel and he doesn't hold back even on the law. He accused them. You crucified him. You killed him. You are guilty. How could he be so bold except by the gift of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit enables him to proclaim the message and to proclaim the gospel so clearly. It's the Holy Spirit that gave him the boldness. And the Holy Spirit came in a spectacular way. But please remember that same Spirit given to Peter was given to you. Now, as I said in the children's message, I don't know how many of us had tongues of fire on top of our head ever in connection with the Holy Spirit. You might have for other reasons. But 
the, the gift of the Holy Spirit didn't come that way, did it? But it is in an equally spectacular way. Now, you, you may not think of water as being spectacular, but isn't it pretty spectacular that God would use water to bring to you the Holy Spirit, to, to connect word with that and unite him to the Lord, his death and his resurrection, based on what he has done, his suffering, death, and resurrection, are yours in that water. What a wonderful, powerful, amazing gift. The same spirit given to Peter is the same spirit given to you. And we need it. And we need it every day. And again, it's illustrated by Peter. You would think that this would be a really good place for me to end the sermon, right? Peter makes this wonderful confession, this bold speaking about the message of God. And so you think the rest of Peter's life, he's got it all under control, right? Not quite. We're told by Paul when he's writing to the church of Galatia that he had to confront Peter. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. When I saw that they were, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter and his conduct got carried away with the, the Jewish faction of the Christian faith and actually gave the impression that to the Gentiles that they had to follow the Jewish law. He undercut the gospel. This is long after the gift of the day of Pentecost. Isn't this a reminder that, that we're never quite complete? Peter, in this life, was never complete. There was always that struggle between the, the, the spirit that is given to him and the sinful nature. And isn't that really what our life is like? It's a daily struggle, isn't it? We have the sinful nature on one side telling us to follow our will and our emotions. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that's telling us to follow God and His Word and His will. And which one wins? Kind of depends, doesn't it? When the Holy Spirit wins out, we give thanks to God. We rejoice because He's the one that did it. When that sinful nature wins out, we realize that we repent and we turn back to God and realize that, that He has forgiven and He's loved us. Because Peter in his failure was not removed as an apostle. He was still used by God. He was still blessed by God. He had Paul there to confront him and bring the word of God and the spirit to him once again. And that's what you have. Throughout your life, it, it's going to be a constant battle. But this is why we need the gift of the Holy Spirit over and over again. This is why we come together again today. Because we know the Holy Spirit is present. We remember the gift given in our baptism. But where the word is proclaimed, the spirit is there. So today you receive the spirit. The very same spirit that gives you the ability to, to believe, to trust, and to act on that faith. The Holy Spirit is active in your life and will continue to be. And this is the beauty as we conclude to, to realize you don't have to wonder about the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder. There's no spectacular sign you have to give because if you give a confession of faith, you know the Spirit is in you. That's what Paul said. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you feel weak in the Spirit, you know where the Spirit can be found. It's in His Word. Turn to the Scriptures. Come to worship. There the Spirit will, will strengthen you. There He will forgive you. There you will have all that the Spirit has to offer. What a joy it is to receive that Spirit again and again, to be continued to be reminded and concluded in God's family and His kingdom. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds to true faith, life everlasting.